When I think about school lunch, I think about the smell of rectangular pizza getting warmed up in an industrial oven. I think about tater tots. I think about those little cartons of reduced-fat milk. But Helena Bademiller-Evich, she's a reporter over at Politico, she thinks about a vast, underappreciated supply chain. The scale of school meals exceeds the largest restaurant chains. It's a wild world. School meals is a wild world. There's a whole separate food system set up. I mean, you can get like reduced fat Doritos that you can get for schools that we can't buy. There's like low sodium, whole grain rich Domino's that you can get for schools that we can't buy. The pizza? Yeah. There's a whole other like market that serves schools. This market, it's been set up to accommodate Washington because Washington has made a lot of rules for this program. For example, if you're going to look at just like grains, right? So like the the grains that schools serve, the bread, the pasta, we have a requirement that 50% of grains in schools are whole grain rich. Whole grain rich means, you know, more than half of the mixture of grains is whole grain mixed with refined grain. Okay, so that sounds like a good goal. But that's kind of one example of, you know, as a school, you have to figure out, okay, am I at least at 50%? I've served biscuits. I've served, you know, pasta. Did I hit that 50% threshold? So you're you're doing a lot of calculating. You have to make sure you're hitting, you know, nutrient targets. And you'll hear folks in school meals will call it like the daily miracle. The fact that we are able to feed more than 30 million kids in the U.S. every year on, you know, sometimes they're spending like a dollar per meal, $1.25 on food. That's pretty miraculous, right? During the pandemic, this miracle, it got harder to pull off. So Congress cut the schools a break. A lot of the requirements about what school lunch had to look like, they got lifted. Schools got more money to spend on food. And school lunch itself was made universally free for every kid. So, you know, parents can pick up like a week's worth of meals if they need to. No one has had to fill out paperwork to show that they're, you know, meeting a certain income eligibility. It has really been maximum flexibility, maximum access. But what Washington gives, Washington can take away. And now, school lunch is up against a deadline, thanks to Congress. So essentially on June 30th, schools are going to lose all of the flexibilities they've had during the pandemic. How are people who work in schools feeling right now about this? They're panicking. Um, School leaders are really upset about this. They thought that it would get extended for another year and that they would have basically another year to try to get back to normal, whatever post-pandemic normal looks like. Could Congress wave a magic wand and fix this problem, essentially? Absolutely. To be perfectly honest, I think the vast majority of parents have no idea this happened. There was so little press coverage of this that I almost can guarantee you that virtually all parents who have been using this program don't know that it was coming to an end this summer. 
Today on the show, a food fight in Congress reveals just how little has changed in Washington since the start of the pandemic. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The school lunch system has always been complicated. In the before times, it was distributed in three tiers. Paid meals, reduced price, and then free lunch for the lowest income kids. But in order to opt into either of those last two groups, families had to fill out paperwork and prove they qualified. It was a headache for pretty much everyone involved. Schools needed to badger people into filling out forms, and then they needed staff to keep track of all those pieces of paper. But it was also a vital way that millions of kids got food five days a week. It's an institution that I think we don't think about a lot, but millions of children depend on it every day. And for many kids, you know, the most substantial food they get every day is at school. They might get breakfast and lunch, maybe even also a snack. And... You know, food insecurity is still a significant problem in this country. So I think maybe for folks who haven't eaten school meals or maybe haven't ever been in a family that was worried about, you know, paying rent or buying groceries, maybe they don't truly kind of get how how crucial this is for many people. But the impact is quite broad. And before the pandemic, I remember hearing all these stories about school lunch debt, like kids who would owe a lot of money and then maybe they couldn't get lunch because their parents couldn't pay it. They took my lunch because I didn't have because I didn't have enough enough money. They took my main thing which which was cheesy breadsticks and sauce. And it sounds like during the pandemic that whole thing just went away. Yeah. It did go away. I mean, we used to read just gut-wrenching stories, yeah, about kids that either because they hadn't filled out the paperwork or maybe their parents didn't want them to qualify for subsidized or free, but then they were still getting the meals. So they were essentially racking up, you know, debt at school. You would hear these stories of some schools would do these horrible things, like they'd give them a special lunch, like they'd just get peanut butter on bread or something because their family owed money to the school. So they couldn't get like the regular meal. I mean, just really mortifying, traumatic, you know, stories. So describe to me exactly what happened in March of 2020. How quickly did things change and how? So when the first round of shutdowns happened during the pandemic, all of a sudden, you know, the vast majority of schools are online, kids are at home, and for the millions of kids who were relying on school meals, this immediately raised a question like, what are we going to do to keep them fed, to make sure these kids have access to food? And the USDA at the time recognized pretty quickly there was a need to 
grant a ton of flexibility so that schools could pack up meals to go and that parents could come pick them up. Um, They could pack up like a week of meals at a time so they didn't have to come every day. They basically just loosened the rules of like, you can only serve this kind of food here. And, you know, there's all these rules, right? So it cut all that red tape. And this was during the Trump administration. Congress basically gave USDA the authority. And then USDA cut all of the red tape needed to just make sure that kids were fed, make sure schools could keep their programs running. And that was the reality for two years. It sounds like the Department of Agriculture really just kind of opened up the wallet and said, do what you need to do to keep kids fed, including making lunch free for everyone, no matter what. I wonder if you ever thought an investment of this kind was something you would see in your reporting. That's such an interesting question because before the pandemic, there had started to be a little bit of momentum around the idea that schools might one day have universal free meals, but it seemed like this really far off possibility. So I think it started to get introduced, the idea of, is this just so much easier? Is this easier? Do you reduce the stigma of participating, right? You're not labeling kids as low income. So there's there was a, a little bit of momentum kind of kicking up before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic happened and schools got to kind of experience what it was like, I have yet to talk to a school leader who wouldn't want to keep it this way. Yeah. Part of what's kind of notable to me about the pandemic is that it's been this natural experiment. Like you alluded to the fact that advocates had been pushing for free school lunch for a while, but it was kind of like a dream. Do we know what kind of a difference it made for students to have access without question to meals? That's a really good question. I don't know if we know yet. Um, it would probably be pretty tough to study like student outcomes because you have so many other variables like going into online learning and, you know, children not having direct access to their teachers for like large um, chunks of time during the pandemic, not having like the social interaction. So I think it would probably be tough to isolate that out. But one thing we definitely learned during COVID is that, you know, this massive ramp up in aid, in in nutrition aid, which was not just school meals, but also the SNAP program. Some people still know it as food stamps. We basically doubled SNAP spending during the pandemic. We increased the benefits to just try to make sure that families weren't missing out on the support that they were used to. And the easiest way to do that was just to give it to all children that were in certain places where they were having closures. So with all of this together, one of the things we learned is that food insecurity didn't go up during the pandemic, which is pretty surprising because of how much economic disruption we had. So it's not necessarily like a win, but it's a pretty remarkable data point to learn during the pandemic that if you massively ramp up aid, a country can blunt a spike in food insecurity. And it sounds like school lunches were a big part of that. Absolutely. When we come back, how Congress dropped the lunch bag.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. While making lunch free has helped kids stay fed during COVID, the people behind the school lunch program have been hemmed in by the same kinds of challenges that have flattened just about everyone. Supply chain shortages, the great resignation, all of it made getting food in school kids' bellies a lot harder over the last year. Just in the last few weeks, these stories have started cropping up about school districts that can't even get a hold of the basics. We're having a really hard time getting milk right now. This is an educator in Davis County, Utah. The dairy that we purchase from is having as hard a time with labor and supply chain issues as we are. For school nutrition experts, all this means now is not the time to scale back support. But that's what Washington did anyway. So when did you realize that this system of waivers that had made school lunch easier to provide and free might not survive? So it was the final days of the negotiations over the big spending bill. So we call it the omnibus that basically keeps the government funded through the rest of the fiscal year. I started getting calls over the weekend from sources on the Hill essentially saying like, Mitch McConnell, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's really dug in against extending the waivers. And I think there was just a lot of sort of shock and like folks were kind of looking around going like, what? what are we going to do? This is just unexpected. So I wrote a story about how Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was dug in against extending the waivers. And I think it was maybe another day or two before the final deal was struck. And indeed, the waiver extension was not in there. I mean, you've described like a meeting of child nutrition experts in D.C. where a USDA person comes in and announces this to them. And they were all just shocked. Yeah, so it just so happened that the School Nutrition Association, which represents like more than 50,000 school nutrition frontline workers and nutrition directors, they were in town. So they had their conference in D.C. There was um, a top USDA official that was scheduled to just talk to that group on, I believe it was Monday morning. And she basically said, like, as of right now, the waiver extension's not in there, just like full disclosure to to the group. And there was an audible gasp, like the room of several hundred people was just like, what? I mean, I think it started to kind of sink in what that would mean. Yeah, we should lay out exactly what that would mean. Because it's not just that this, we go back to this three-tier system of some people paying and some people not paying. It's also that the schools get less money to pay for food and the, the schools may even get penalized if they're not serving kids food that reaches certain nutrition standards. It's kind of like going back to normal, but nothing is normal. Like food costs way more. The supply chains are wrecked. Labor costs more. The schools are struggling with staffing generally. And I think most immediately in the summer, there's just going to be a lot fewer sites across the country serving free meals for for any students that want them. So, you know, it's kind of like how, 
you know, hospital workers feel taken for granted. I think there is also this sense of really, we've been through all of this. Like we've patched it together. We've made it work. Like we've kept the boat afloat. Like we've kept everything going. And then now, um, instead of kind of giving the school meals programs more time to get back to normal, they're being asked to meet a lot more red tape with less resources in a very short amount of time. Republicans' main defense for cutting funding for the school meals program is that President Biden never actually made a budget request asking for the money. But he did send his Secretary of Agriculture to the Hill to advocate for it. Democrats, meanwhile, have made some statements decrying the lack of funding for school meals. But they still agreed to sign on to a spending bill without it. Helena says it's still possible that the waivers might get rescued from the congressional chopping block. But it's just not likely. Last week, Senate Agriculture Chair um, Debbie Stabenow, who's also the number four Democrat in the Senate, introduced a bipartisan bill to try to reverse this. So there, there's kind of a last-ditch attempt to get the waiver extensions um, perhaps onto the COVID aid package that's under negotiation. I think that's going to be really difficult considering the price tag on extending the meal waivers is almost the same price tag that they're currently haggling over. So So it mean doubling the cost. Yeah, of the it would COVID. be like doubling the cost of the package, which I just I haven't talked to anyone who thinks that's going to happen. But the second option there is to try to force a vote on an amendment when that package comes to the floor. So that is possible. I don't know that anyone thinks that is likely to actually result in a in a vote. But Senator Stabenow has you know, Murkowski and Collins and Manchin and Cinema and the entire Democratic caucus on the bill. So, but what you're saying is it may not matter. Yeah, it may not matter. I think we'll we'll see. You know, I went back to some early reporting of yours from 2020 when these pandemic waivers were first out there, and they were they were at risk at the time. And you spoke to a school nutrition person in Cincinnati, a woman named Jessica Shelley, and what she said to you back then was, I'm not asking for a blank check. I'm asking for one year as we're navigating these challenging waters. Let's take this one thing off families' plates. And I read that now, and I think, okay, well, she got one year. She actually got two years. So I guess if I'm Mitch McConnell, I'd say, well, why isn't it fair to say the extra support has to end at some point? I think that is the general case that some Republicans are making, although not really publicly. You're not seeing lawmakers really own this stance publicly, which I think is is interesting. There was a set of negotiations going on in the Senate Agriculture Committee over how to extend the waivers for the next year. So essentially, they were negotiating over like what kind of language can we come up with that sort of moves us back to normal next year, right? So it's not just a full, you know, extension with another cliff, but, you know, what are the sort of benchmarks that we need to help schools get back to normal? I think there is a desire that everyone has to try to get schools back to normal, but particularly you're hearing a really strong um, Republican push to, you know, to not continue a lot of pandemic programs longer than they feel is necessary. 
I also think it is completely fair to ask, like, how big of a priority is this really for Democrats? Because it's not something we see in, like, political talking points right now. You don't hear uh, Majority Leader Schumer talking about this. I don't think we've seen anything from, you know, President Biden. It certainly hasn't gotten to that level. Um, So, you know, I don't know how far they're willing to go or how much they're really willing to fight over this. And as we've learned, there aren't that many trains that leave the station now in Washington in terms of legislation. So it's hard to see like what the other options are here. I wonder what this fight tells you about how Washington is working right now. Like as someone who reports on Congress, did it feel instructive to you? I think it's instructive in that this isn't a very um, organized way of governing, right? So I think, let's say we we had some sense that Republicans were not going to allow another extension full stop. Well, if that were sort of known, you would have a process in place to like make sure this is not extremely disruptive. Instead, we have like an 11th hour stance uh, that leads to this policy not getting extended. And then schools are going to be left in very, very short order to pivot again in a way that is, I think, financially stressful and um, going to result in like less access to meals for a lot of children. So that doesn't sound like it works for anyone. It's kind of chaotic, right? Like, I, I just don't think there's another way to put it. It's, it's, it's a chaotic way of running things. Um, there's not a lot of certainty. And even now, with a decision having been made, there's still uncertainty, right? Because there's still some hope that maybe Congress will fix this in some other way. And I think the feeling from schools is that it's just, you know, it's an added stress at a time when they feel like they shouldn't have added stress on their plate. Helena, thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here anytime. Helena Bottomiller-Evich is a food and agriculture reporter over at Politico. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Carmel Dalshad, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson. We're led by Alicia Montgomery and our brand new executive producer, Joanne Levine. Welcome, Joanne. I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. Say hi. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. Catch you back here tomorrow.